Living Room Conversations enable people to come together through their social networks as friends and their friends to engage in a self-guided conversation on an agreed-upon topic. Typically, the conversations have self-identified co-hosts who hold differing views, and they may or may not be from different ethnic groups, socioeconomic backgrounds, or political parties. Get the idea. EPOST invites two of their friends to join the conversation, and participants follow an easy-to-use format that offers structure and a set of questions for getting acquainted with each other and each other's viewpoints. Conversations we find foster new relationships, and they often reveal surprising common ground. The vision for Living Room Conversations is a world in which people who have fundamental differences of opinion and backgrounds work together with respect and even joy to realize the vibrant future we all desire. Living Room Conversations are special because people agree to follow six simple ground rules. It's all stuff we learned in kindergarten, but here's a real quick reminder. Number one, be curious and open to learning. Number two, show respect and suspend judgment. Number three, look for common ground. Number four, be authentic and welcome that from others. Number five, be purposeful and to the point. And number six, own and guide the conversation. So basically, no soapboxing, listen well, and be authentic. And if you look for common ground, people often find it. Enjoy your very own Living Room Conversation. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for Living Room Conversations, part of the Coffee Party Radio Network. And today we are going to be talking about Muslim refugees and national security. It's a topic that's come up, of course, in the presidential debate and is creating quite a bit of controversy. So we're going to explore that and find out what we have in common today. So our panel today has, our, has six folks from the Living Room Conversations team. Mary Gaylord, Katie Page, Joan Blades, John Gable, Jacob Hess, and myself. And we're going to dive right in and start with uh, rounds one and two combined. We talk a little bit about uh, what drew us to this conversation and uh, perhaps some of our hopes and fears for the future. Anybody want to volunteer to go first? I'm going to go first. Thanks, Joan. <laughs> what drew me to the conversation is actually the Christian Science Monitor decided to focus on this topic as part of their series of 10 issues that they're putting out there for people to look at that are highlighted in this election. And I thought it would be really interesting for me to have this conversation with my partners at Living Room Conversation. And in terms of my values, I tend to want to be helping my community and other communities be safe and prosperous. So it, it's a good conversation for that topic, too. So that's my check-in on that. Great. Thanks, Joan. I'm going to go to John Gable. Go ahead, John. For me, I, I see the issue as kind of, there seems to be a very commonsensical middle ground here. And sometimes that's not the case. But I'm kind of concerned about our inability to talk rationally about some issues about what practically needs to be done. So I'm curious as to digging into the issue and seeing how we all look at that and see if there is a way to have a, a more healthy conversation about it that can move forward. Great. Thanks, John. Hopes and concerns for the future, John? You kind of skipped over that. Really, just the idea that we can demonstrate and hopefully propagate virally the ability for people to talk about things. Sometimes the issues um, are really hard and, and um, hard to get across, but this one, to me, doesn't seem to be as difficult as some other ones. So let's see if we can find a way to move forward. 
Great, thanks. Thanks, John. And Mary Gaylord, go ahead. This is a topic where I feel like I have a lot to learn, and so I'm really looking forward to learning some things today. Um, I did kind of some crash course reading on my favorite um, news source website, allsides.com, and uh, got some uh, good information. And then I even ventured out and I clicked on something that said uh, right-wing news that was not on all sides, and that was an interesting perspective, and there's a lot of emotion and fear about this topic. And so I'm really looking forward to talking to this group and, and learning more. Um, and my hope and concern is that, gosh, you know, this is a big one. I, I read these stories and they're really heart-wrenching to me in a lot of cases, what, what's happening with the refugees. And my hope and concern is that we can rise to the occasion and uh, recognize our humanity and their humanity and that we can also be sensible and safe and make some wise decisions because this is a really difficult issue in terms of cost and fear and resources. So that's why I'm here. Great, thanks Mary. And uh, I'm gonna just kind of go around our, the, the circle that I can, so to speak, uh, and I'll go ahead and go next. One, uh, this is Debbie Lynn, and one of the things that drew me to this conversation besides the fact that it's a the topic in the Christian Science Monitor was that what I see as a disparity between kind of a core reason that our country that the United States was even founded by people fleeing from religious persecution and the contradiction that we now have of oh no we can't let those people of that religion in here and so that's an area where I want to explore more about what folks' concerns are. And then I think one of the things that I, you know, that I have, one of the biggest hopes that I have for the future is not only a way for us to build and deepen our relationships with each other, but also how do we find a way to beyond tolerate, really accept, and I would say even celebrate the cultural and religious diversity that we have in this country. It's, it's, not as unique as it used to be as a melting pot. I think there's a lot of melting pots out there in the world. But this idea that people really literally can now live anywhere in the world lends itself to some new challenges. And one of my hopes for the future is that we're figuring out how to do that here. With that, I'm, I'm in the conversation. Katie? I'm really excited to be a part of this. I'm also with Mary on the idea of I'm really looking to learn. I watched a documentary the other day called The White Helmets, which is about a group of Syrian civilians that go and save people from the rubble of bombs. And I think also online, I've seen a lot of memes about this that totally oversimplify a really complicated civil war going on. And I think we're really embroiled in fear and hysteria surrounding this subject. And I agree with John that there are some sensible solutions that I think we can come to if we get past our fear and generally paranoia, in my opinion. My hope for our country is that we can learn to be more compassionate towards people that are habits so rough right now and are completely innocent. And there are children dying and people dying every day over there. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't have that here. And I understand we don't want that to come to our soil. That's, we don't want that here. But we need to understand, as Debbie Lynn was saying, that people came here originally out of fear for the places that they were originally living. 
And I think if we can reconnect with that idea of compassion and humanity, that we will be able to come to a solution for everybody. And I'm in with that. Great. Thanks, Katie. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to the topic at hand. And we have several questions here um, that we can start with and then, you know, evolve into kind of a, a more natural conversation. But here are the questions that we've, we've kind of started with. Have you personally been impacted by the refugee crisis in the Middle East? Do you have concerns about your family's safety? And if so, what are you most worried about? Which American values are most in play or at risk in considering Muslim refugees for resettlement in the US? Do you have people of Muslim faith in your community? What role do they play? Is it possible to be welcoming of refugees and concerned about terrorists crossing borders? If so, what kinds of solutions could address both considerations? And lastly, was there something that you were hoping to ask or share in this conversation? So uh, we'll get started there with uh, some of those thought-provoking questions. And Joan, you want to go first? I'm thinking I would start with the who's in my community, because the reality is I'm sure we have people of Muslim faith in my community. And the role I know I play with some of them is soccer. Uh, because, you know, I have a soccer group I've been playing with for 30 years, and it's a very diverse group. And some people have been with us so, for so long, they now have their children playing with us as well. So we have you know, teenagers and 70 year olds in the game. So it is a um, personal in the sense that I have friends, though I don't know which people are Muslim because I don't ask. I think it's largely invisible who is Muslim in the community unless they are going into a mosque or in some ways actively participating in their faith. But I know there are people I care about in my life that have the faith. Now, with the issue of refugees, I, you know, I agree that I think it, it is possible to welcome refugees and at the same time, you know, be concerned about terrorists and be careful about terrorists. And I believe we are being uh, very careful about terrorists crossing our borders but I'm not an expert in this area in any way, shape, or form. So I pass it on. Thanks, Joan. John, you want to go next? Sure. I, I kind of like to start with the ability to welcome refugees and, um, and be concerned about terrorism. Um, what I've seen a lot in the, in the press and the politics is kind of always taking the other side and the, the most extreme version of the other side <clears throat> and using that as a way to create more suspicion and polarizes further. So the concern on folks who are concerned about terrorism is that we'll let refugees in, but we'll not do the due diligence of making sure, of doing the kinds of checks you do for any immigrant or anybody led in the nation, or even, even support visas, which is what most nations do for people coming from a violent or dangerous country, particularly that countries against May, may be against theirs. While the other stream, you hear people who are like saying, oh my gosh, we're so afraid of, we, we should let everybody in no matter what. Um, or we're so afraid of these foreigners, we should let anybody in. So there's all sorts of this, uh, this crazy extremism that doesn't seem to be necessary. 
from from what I, I something just came out um, a couple of days ago, where in the fiscal year 2016, which I think just ended, um, America has led in 12,500 Syrian refugees, Muslims, um, or 12,500 were Muslims, a few Christians and or, uh, yeah, and a few others involved, almost all um, Muslims. And that was a little bit more than they had planned. That's so much smaller than the millions that are going to different countries in Europe where they really have a big financial uh, challenge to be able to manage all this. But in terms of the United States, it doesn't seem to be a big financial danger. But, you know, we, we hear that people want to, well, we hear terrorist groups saying, oh, of course, they'll, they'll try to infiltrate that to make us a little bit more scary. I do think you can have a reasonable visa. And I'm concerned about folks who are like so anti one extreme, they're like, avoid, don't want to do any visas, or they're so anti the other side, they're saying, don't let anybody in at all. It just doesn't seem rational and um, counter to the loving heart that is America and the nation of immigrants that is America. Uh, but to strengthen and support our long-term history of freedom of religion and love of immigrants, we could still be cautious about how we do it. And that's what I'd love to see us do. I guess I went to a, a point of view, which may not have been a place to go, but there you go anyway. <laughs> it happens so frequently, John, and thanks for, thanks for that sharing. Uh, Mary, where do you want to jump off from? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was looking at that. Am I concerned about my family safety? And, you know, to some extent, sure. But, you know, I think about my family safety and, and what, what threats to my family safety could be out there. But to me, one of those threats are not. Uh, Muslims or Muslim immigrants in particular. And, you know, when I was researching a little bit just about this call and I, you know, it got me to thinking and I, so I, I Googled, you know, number of terrorist sorts of attacks in this country that are Muslim based versus non. And, you know, the, the number of Muslim based terrorist attacks were very, very few compared to other sorts of attacks, you know, attacks of, you know, whether it's people who have mental illness or an anti-government group or, you know, whatever the group may be. So that, you know, that got me to thinking a little bit. But, you know, on the other hand, the kind of the, the part of me that relates to the humanity piece says, you know, these people are coming from a really, really horrible, difficult circumstance. And I, and I, you know, I want to see them have a safe haven. And, you know, the, then the, the practical part of me says, gosh, you know, what, what is the cost, the financial cost? You know, where do we, what might we take away from, or just how does that settle up in kind of the grand scheme of how this country spends money? So to me, I would like, I would like to see us, finding a way to welcome them in. And as John was saying, you know, there's, there's, there's ways that can be done. It doesn't mean we open the floodgates and it doesn't mean that we turn them all away. But, you know, there, certainly there's some reasonable solutions in the middle. And I'm really interested in, in exploring those. Thanks, Mary. Uh, so Debbie Lynn here again. I'm going to go ahead and go next. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump off, Mary, from what you're talking about, about concerns for sam family safety. And I was listening to... Um, an interview this morning by a woman in Arizona who is both a Trump supporter and a Mormon. And she was talking about how that because of their Muslim faith and the Muslim faith being 
uh, at war, having declared war on this country, that we needed to uh, not necessarily ban them, but have special screening, if you will, have some kind of special Muslim test. Uh, and she was, and I found that really intriguing because from our conversations here with Jacob, I, I gather that that isn't necessarily the only Mormon position. And I, I also, I had trouble even just with this whole concept of talking about a specific group of people in connection to national security because of the mass shootings and the, the bombings and things that have happened in this country, they have been homegrown. It might be people of Muslim faith, but they're American citizens. So it's not like we're importing terrorists from somewhere else to come here and, and cause havoc and create terror in our streets. It's homegrown. And some of it is because, you know, the guy in New York, the, the one that just happened a few weeks ago, his family came over from Afghanistan, opened up a restaurant, and one neighbor has been harassing them and using city code violations to harass them to near bankruptcy for over five years. And so how much would it take any one of us before we snapped and said, I'm just going to go out and kill somebody because I'm so frustrated and we can't get ahead and there's no acceptance. There's no tolerance of, of our contribution for our community. So he was born in this country to immigrant parents and we made him. We made him by our own intolerance and our fear. And quite frankly, for the terrorists that are out there, that's how they work. They want us to be afraid. And so for me, any demonstration of fear or special screening of uh, applicants over and above what we already do is, means the terrorists have won because we're afraid. And I'm going to pause there because I, I could rant on this one for a while in my perspective. And uh, I will pass it off. Katie, you want to go next? I recently moved into the neighborhood and there's actually a new mosque being built a couple blocks away and there's also a large orthodox jewish community around here so definitely pretty diverse in this area and it's really awesome and i kind of wanted to touch on this idea that somehow they the others are violent and we aren't at all uh, or there's they somehow have a different form of violence but if we're going on the same note then young white men shouldn't go to public schools because Statistically, they're killing the most students. So I think we're, we're not being logical. And I personally would welcome a refugee into my own home. I wish we would bring more people into this country. I think it is un-American to not be welcoming of refugees. Yes, I understand that we need to be cautious. And I'm sure there are measures that can happen for us to stop terrorism, but I think we need to kind of get out of this 9-11 mentality that like everyone is after us because I, I just don't think it's true and I don't believe that Islam has declared war on America. I know there is a Muslim community here, but I don't see them. They seem to really keep to themselves and I wonder why. So it kind of just brings me back to my point of being generally compassionate with other human beings. I mean, if you haven't seen the white helmets, I really recommend seeing it. There's just children with all their families are gone. Like we should let those kids into our country, you know? And then that's all that I want to say. There is a solution and we can come to it. And 
uh, we'll start with that. Great. Thanks, Katie. Uh, Jacob, I uh, wanted to bring you into the conversation if you're there. So we're giving you just a moment to get back here. I'm going to take this off mute in case you're in some other part of your room. Jacob, are you there? Can you hear me, Debbie Lynn? I can. Please. We, uh, we're going to do yeah. your, we're going to do your intro at the end and, and dub it in. That's so. fine. I apologize for having to step away. So that's definitely not the Mormon position, what you articulated. My ancestors were driven from the state of Missouri under an extermination order that was issued where Mormons were raped and killed and our leaders were killed and, you know, driven ultimately to Utah. So it's no surprise that the official LDS stance is compassion and receiving people. And we're the only state with a Republican governor that has adamantly welcomed the refugee. That doesn't mean, like John said, that there aren't real concerns. And it's baffling we can't do both. I'm really struck by what John said and thinking about how easy it is to talk to all of you about the nuances. It's just like super easy. And why? And then I'm reflecting on times when I've been in a room with people who are angry and having an angry conversation. And they literally cannot see reality anymore. They can't nuance they can't see complexity they can only see monsters in the room and i i just sort of think you know half the country gets angry about one thing you know relative to the refugees and then half about the other and then we're in that room where all we can see is monsters including the refugees who are mostly just victims of a horrific situation so I uh, definitely, I mean, our, our church leaders are encouraging all of us to reach out and we are actively involved in doing things. So I really love uh, so many things that have been shared on this, in this conversation already. So, uh, yeah, you're just going to kind of open it up to free flow. So, John Cable, go right ahead. Sure, I um, feel that the biggest danger isn't the situation in America um, around refugees, the biggest danger is our inability to talk with each other and address it like humans concerned for each other. This hypermedia state of over-polarizing, because that gets you more attention and interest and more votes at the polls to anger people, is something that each of us needs to learn how to um, filter through and, and rise above. And I... The polarizing statements on one extreme or the other tends to pull the other extreme from the other side. When you hear people say there's no worry whatsoever, that gets people who are a little bit more concerned to um, polarize and say, no, 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 don't let anybody in. If you say don't let anybody in, that tends to get people to say let everybody in. And, and it's, it's a vicious cycle that um, has a good business model behind it in that you can get more clicks that way, you can get more um, page views that way, and you might be able to even raise more money that way if you're a political candidate. And it's up to us to combat that and prove a better solution. This one isn't as difficult as so many of the other big problems we have in our nation. I mean, there's so much of the conversation that, that bothers me, and it simply comes down to we people demonstrating to others that we're not going to be um, manipulated by the hypermedia that's intent to polarize for their own financial benefit. 
um, that we need to find a better way and demand a better way from our elected leaders. Thanks, John. Debbie Lynn here again. I'm going to, I'm going to pop in and just kind of ask, I do have friends who are Muslim. They came here long before 9-11. They've naturalized. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And some of the folks, you know, especially from Syria right now who are fleeing war, part of the reason they cannot get refugee status in the United States is because they don't have paperwork. They can't prove who they are or what they've done um, because their country is in a state of war. And so to me, that's one of like the most needed areas for compassion. It's like helping when, once their, their infrastructure broke down in Syria and they lost their papers or they were robbed of their papers in many cases, Europe became the only place for them to go where they could get asylum if they you know, landed on, on European shores and U.S. obviously being much farther away. But I, I, my sense is that our country is not doing their part, if you will, in helping to resettle. I think we did increase up to 50,000 Syrian refugees here, but that's 50,000 out of the more than a million that Germany's taken in alone. And so it just seems like, to me, I feel like our country is being paranoid instead of true to our principles of the founding of this country. And I don't know the I don't know the answer about the the missing paperwork, but I just don't. To me, the the human need is so much greater than the possibility of terrorism that it it just overwhelms me. I'm going to give Jacob and Joan a chance to jump in here. Either one of you want to uh, comment? I'm opening up both mics, Jacob or Joan. Well, this well, is Joan. I. Agree completely that I want to see our country be one that's embracing uh, immigrants because, well, refugees because there's a desperate need and it has fallen all on Europe because of where they're located and where we're located. We're in a very fortunate spot. And I see that there's a real political cost to welcoming refugees. And I think the only way we can really have this happen is for citizens to make it clear that they stand behind leaders that welcome refugees. And I, it's a hard place for our leaders to be. And I think we have to figure out a way to support them if we want to do that piece. And it's hard in an election season to, you know, be caring about refugees the way I would like us to be. So I'm hoping that after this election, we do better at that. Thanks, Joan. Uh, John Gable, go ahead. One thought along how America can help refugees, there was a push earlier to actually defend, militarily defend a section of Syria as a first escape for people in danger. And I, I just want to bring that up because there are different ways of being humanitarian and helping, and some may not seem as obvious because the um, push earlier to do a little bit more military action to to cordon off a part of Syria that's a safe refuge. Some might consider to be overly militaristic, but it's actually with a humanitarian purpose. And um, some would argue that by not doing that, the problem has become worse both for Europe and to a much smaller extent for America. I just want to point that out that there is more than one way to be humanitarian for these folks. So there are different arguments for these different tactics. Thanks, Johnny. I can see all the political uh, chains that that would bring up. 
Go ahead, Katie. I wish I was more knowledgeable about this, but I know Russia is somehow involved, and that can make things a little bit complicated on our side. And I'm just trying to think, like, if our country went to shambles, which people like to say it's not a possibility, but it is, uh, where would we go? Where Who would take Americans in? And I guess just when I think about that, the bravery of these people wanting to come to America, a place where they know they are generally not liked, I mean, there is something to be said there. And it really just baffles me. I, I don't think we're taking enough action. I do uh, kind of like the idea that John had. I mean, if we can't help in some way, we need to be helping in another way. Our country had a civil war too, and lots and lots, lots of people died. And it just, it hurts my heart to see that happening in other parts of the world. Um, when we now with globalization and technology can be doing things. And the other thing is, I've worked with undocumented Latin American people, and they have been some of the most kindest and hardworking people I've ever met in my life. And I don't think we understand that when these people are given a second chance after coming from such a hard situation, if we let them, they can be an economic powerhouse for us. And I think we need to tap into that, and we totally can. So... That's all I have for right now. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. We're going to take a quick break. So why don't you take a moment to stretch, get another cup of coffee, and the Living Room Conversations. We'll be right back. Listen to Living Room Conversations, where we put the personal back into interpersonal communications, here on the Coffee Party USA radio network. Mary, coming back over to you. You know, um, this is a tough topic for me. I... You know, this may not be a popular sentiment, but I feel really embarrassed about how a lot of Muslims are treated in our country and in my community recently. There's a, a neighborhood post where a young Muslim girl who's about 20, and she's lived here all her life, and she, she wears a hijab, and the awful, atrocious things, people are, are yelling at her. I mean, she's just gone to the grocery store. And people are, are saying, or she was, I think, in, you know, waiting at a traffic light and windows were rolled down and people were just screaming, just uh, unthinkable things at her, a 20-year-old girl. And, you know, she wrote about it. She put a post on on our local listserv. And she's like, you know, why are you doing this to me? And I was really heartened to see how many people in the community came forward and said, you know, there's, there's more of us that support you and have compassion and believe in, in civility and respect. But, you know, sometimes I feel like there is, maybe it's, it's not as overt and it's not as physically violent, but sometimes it feels to me like we have our own civil war going on in this country in a lot of ways. And, you know, I just, again, reading a little bit before coming here, I read one article that was, very, very concerned. And it was, it was a little conspiracy-ish in tone, just about President Obama is allowing these in because he wants to build Muslim community because he really, you know, is siding with the Muslims and he just is letting them come and attack us from within. And it scares me. That, and, and the number of people making comments and agreeing and going on and adding to it and throwing more energy in I was shocked. It wasn't one or two. 
it was it was several. And so I think, how do we, if the majority of us are saying, yeah, let's figure this out and let's let's have compassion and show our humanity, you know, how do we manage the other people who have a pretty violent reaction to to us doing this? And it's it's uh, it weighs heavy on my heart. Thanks, Mary. Uh, I'm going to give Jacob a chance here. I I it weighs on my heart too, Mary. I think you are expressed it powerfully. I just, I can't help but think about, I was in a conversation with a libertarian friend who's opposed to all foreign action. No foreign action ever is positive. And, and, and I he said, give me one example of the time that any foreign action by the unit, any foreign action has ever led to anything positive. I said, um, when the French came to our aid in the Revolutionary War, how about that? <laughs> and I, I sometimes think I sometimes think even a little help from America uh, to to protect citizens from barrel bombs, for instance, or to, to help uphold international law or to lead out could have averted so much suffering. And I know that it's water under the bridge, but it's it's still happening. And even the New York Times and and Secretary of State Kerry and Hillary Clinton have objected to the current policy. So it's it's baffling to me sometimes the position that says we never should get involved ever, you know, like just sort of hands off. I think that's, I think that's, I don't think we'd be here without that policy. I think a lot of the suffering. And so it, it, it's related conversation, maybe a tangent. Yeah. Um, that weighs on my heart. Thanks. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, I think Kate, uh, Katie's point about Russia also being involved in Syria weighs in there, just as a side comment. Uh, before we go over to John, go ahead, John. Uh, Mary said some great things as well. Um, how do you deal with or manage the groups that are really angry or um, violent or extreme was a question. And I actually think that what we're doing along those lines is completely wrong now. I think what you do is you acknowledge their real legitimate fear and you speak to that. So, so much of politics is about this group versus that group, but that's not happening. So there are Christian white supremacist groups that we speak against that call themselves Christian. And we are comfortable speaking against them and not believing we're against all of Christianity. Um, you could argue the same for calling a radical jihadist Islam group as violent while also saying we believe and love and support the loving traditions of Islam and Muslims. But by not even giving the other side even a little bit of acknowledgement that there is a violent subset, that makes them angrier and want to break out. If we don't let people have a, a, a time to be heard or to have a peaceful, healthy way to let out their concerns. It comes out in bad ways. Um, so instead of avoiding these conversations or avoiding recognition of the other, because that's very bad in politics to, to give, grant the other side something that is true and helpful. Um, I, I think that's just gotta change, is we gotta listen and, and respect the others. Even when we disagree, find the part where they are rational and agree and acknowledge it, and acknowledge that human concern. And um, that's the place to start, I think. 
to be able to do it. So now there will always be groups that will be one extreme or the other, and that's fine. But um, we're, we're, we, we, we've gotten way too far of dismissing the other so badly that I actually believe that's, that's a core cultural problem that's leading to far more riots and civil unrest. It's just getting worse as time goes on. Yeah, thanks, John. I would add that it's not just uh, dismissive, but also contemptuous. Sometimes we express contempt for the other for things that are people that are different than us. And I think that contempt is a, a really nasty, nasty emotion. I'm looking to see if anybody has something else to comment, because I, as I said earlier, I could grandstand on this one for a while. <laughs> and I'm not seeing any hands. I'm going back to our questions about, you know, is it possible to be welcoming of refugees and concerned about terrorists crossing borders, John? I think that was what you're just addressing. What kinds of solutions uh, could address both considerations? I want to throw that back out to the group, that specific question. Go ahead, John. Um, I'll, I'll take a shot because I'm foolish enough to take a shot and expect it to be knocked around and hopefully improved. Uh, but you brought up a good point, Debbie Lynn, about the problem with papers. Now, you could bring somebody in, accept somebody in the nation without the proper paperwork, but also have them signed up in such a way that you know where they live, that um, they, they agree to report in, or some other things during that transition period of time. I don't think that's unusual for like a green card, or well, you, it's not necessarily a green card, it'd be something less than a green card. But you can actually set up procedures to bring in people you don't know all about in such a way that you know who they are, where they are, and not only can that be a way that you can help them if they need to help, but also be aware if something goes awry. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what that would look like, but I was very interested in your, your point about the visas and the problem with that. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a way that you have lots of volunteers around the nation to be willing to help these folks. Let, let's, let's turn on the volunteerism of America and, and help us do this. John, I think you were just reading my mind. I'm going to go to Joan and then I'll come back to me. Go ahead, Joan. And I think one thing I can mention is it seems like we have actually accepted over 10,000 refugees this year. And from what I can hear, I don't hear of any problems with those refugees we have accepted. It's my understanding that there's actually a very uh, in-depth vetting process. So hopefully we are learning from what we've done and we'll do it faster and better. And then it's a question of how do we contribute more? And maybe it's through having more refugees come, or maybe it's supporting things that are happening in other places with refugees also, you know, looking at the other options of support as well as having refugees come here. Because I think we need to do it all. Thanks, Joan. I, I have a friend who's from Cambodia who came over here in the 70s after the end of the Vietnam War. And he, his whole family, and I think there was four or five of them at the time, was sponsored by a church in Oklahoma. And I'm wondering how many churches today and it would be Christian churches, uh, you know, and not to mention mosques and, and synagogues, would be willing to sponsor some of these refugees. And if not, and if not through faith communities, what about, you know, just individuals? I mean, can't Iceland, the people of Iceland just kind of took this whole situation in their own hands. And the Syrian government said, you know, or the, excuse me, the Icelandic government said, we can take a thousand people in. And somebody started a Facebook page and all of a sudden they had 50,000 homes opened up to refugees. Iceland is taking in as many as the whole United States. It's a teeny tiny country. 
and and Canada, we've seen a similar situation there where people are offering to sponsor refugees, and there and somehow it's easier in Iceland and Canada than it is for the United States because of our immigration and refugee policies. And so, to me, there's is there some shift in policy where we can make you know people fleeing from a war zone have a, a lighter rec, uh, requirement for papers with a sponsor, with a sponsoring family of somebody who's accepting responsibility for them. It's just, it's, it would make so much sense to me. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of reasons why that wouldn't work. Uh, Jacob, I'm gonna come back around to you. Anything for us here, Jacob? I don't have anything to add. Thanks, who wants to go next? Katie, was that a hand? No, it was not, but I'll, I wanna go, I'll go soon. I wanna hear someone else first. Okay, we're getting into the nitty gritty now. John, it's you and me, let's go. <laughs> Um, so, so Mary had her hand. Mary, why don't you go ahead and say something first? You know, I just, um, I know that uh, Pope Francis has come out and spoken very strongly about helping the refugees. And, you know, it seems like the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but the Catholic services or, or something. It's, from what I recall, it's one of the largest service organizations in this country. and. You know, I don't know if they're doing something, but that would certainly be, you know, to your point, Debbie Lynn, uh, faith communities and churches, that seems like that would be a, a huge resource to, to, help, to help have impact. I think it's called Catholic Charities. Catholic Charities, that's it. I have not been a Catholic for a while. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Go ahead, John. I'm a huge fan of that approach. Um, when you have groups that really care, volunteering your time, the quality of what they do um, is fantastic and normally costs less money. Um, and in terms of the immigration um, challenges in America in general, I think it's just another example of us polarizing so much. Part of the reason why we have such a large illegal immigration problem is because we have such huge limits on legal immigration. And there are some common sense things that can be done that improves the situation, both in terms of security and having more people be contributing members of society versus outside of society, which we have not been able to do in the last um, number of years um, in a very polarized environment where we're not listening to each other. This, unfortunately, I, I see a, a, core, a, a core problem where this individual issue is just another symptom of the core problem that we need to address. Thanks, John. Any, I feel like we're kind of winding down on the topic. Go ahead, okay. I guess I just wanted to say, um, if America, United States, wants to keep being considered like big brother of the world, you know, we better start acting like it. And, you know, like keep doing stuff that makes us super valuable in the world. And if you can't look at it from a humanitarian perspective like I suggest looking at it from other ways like I said before like this could be an economic success if we allow it we can continue to keep doing the right thing if we don't let fear stop us in our tracks and the other elephant in the room that sucks is the media and to be honest I don't even know how to tackle the media or how to even talk about it anymore because it is so pers so pervasive so persuasive and it's really a hard thing to fight. And I think there are so many stories that are missing from this narrative that we're 
just kind of getting a single-sided one and that people need to expand their minds as to what is really going on in the world. I mean, there are so many issues going on in the rest of the world that don't directly involve us at all that are happening and they're real and they're scary and we're kind of just focused on the ones that are on our radar. And I don't exactly know where I'm going with this, but I just hope people educate themselves on things. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Katie. Um, just kind of in that vein, uh, I saw, I first became aware of the Syria, the specifically the Syrian refugee crisis, and there are many, many refugee crises, crises happening right now. But this one um, came up in my Facebook feed, and it was a clip from uh, the after show, or a, there was a, 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 there's an actor, a British actor named Benedict Cumberbatch, and he was uh, starring in a play in London. And at the end of every performance, he stopped and he made a plea for people to please donate to the Syrian refugee crisis uh, aid that was going out. And the comment that he made that I'm probably going to cry even talking about it because it just touched me so much was that people do not put their children on rafts in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean by themselves unless what they're leaving and fleeing is so horrible that that is their best option. And that really gave me a personal sense of how desperate these people are and why they need help. And I have felt very powerless because of our our policies in this government and in being able to help and do anything other than send money, which of course I'm happy to do. I just think as a world, we we deserve better and we are better when we are working together. So anybody else? I don't see any other hands up here. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Just as I, I know you're about to close, I, I want to point out how this sentiment is a complete common sentiment on the left and the right. Um, on the right refers to it in Reagan's word of the shining light on the hill, where we are the beacon to the world and show through example our willingness to protect people and fight for what's right and be that beacon of hope. Mm-hmm. And on the left, you, you frequently talk about in different terms um, about compassion and, and, and supporting others. They're, these are different terms that go to the same heart. And um, that, I think, when we are in it together and share that heart is where we can find these solutions if we start with that common humanity. Mm-hmm. Thanks, John. I think that's a great way to wrap up our refu- our round three conversation about the refugees and, and enter into kind of our uh, what we're going to do rounds four and five together, both the reflection conversation and then our accomplishments and moving forward. So let's let's combine collapse those into the the same round and share. Uh, let's just kind of go around again and. and Share what was most meaningful or valuable for you, new understanding or common ground, uh, any perception changes, and then declare any next steps that you might want to take. And John, I'm going to pick on you to go first. I feel like I just did that. Um, and I don't think I could possibly say anything as eloquent as I just did. I'm not even going to try. But the getting back to the core commonality of humanity, I think, is the way we do it. Right. Thanks, John. Any volunteers? Go ahead, Joe. I'll go next. Oh, Jacob. Joan, you go. Jacob, you go okay. next. <laughs> no, please, Joan. All right, I'll go, then you take it. I'm 
getting a sense of a lot of common ground here too, that people really want to be able to uh, be the humanitarian light on the hill that John's describing and that our inability to work together is causing us to be far less than we would like to be as a country, as, you know, as providing the kind of resources and care that we would like. So it's, I find that encouraging and in terms of next steps, uh, I think if we get, can get a larger base of citizens saying that clearly, it will create a foundation for leadership to do much more. And I'd love to see that happen. Thanks, Joan. Um, I was touched by the quote you shared, Debbie Lynn, about the boats, and also what Katie finished with. And I, uh, I just noticed how often my own attention, if I let it go, is occupied with uh, absolutely absurd things that the media is kind of serving up, uh, rather than this these human questions. So I've recently been experimenting with a different media diet. Like I, I, when I find myself wanting to go on just to see, like there's almost like an impulse to just be distracted and I just don't follow it anymore. And so I don't know a thing about Kim Kardashian's diamonds getting stolen, except like this annoying headline that keeps coming up. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the stories where I'm learning about the suffering of others and things that are important in the national conversation. I think I'm just, I, I want to direct my energy and my attention in a way that I can be a part of the, of alleviating suffering and not just uh, feasting on the endless distractions where, you know, you read about the stories of the, the, the boat capsizing and then you go right on to something else. I don't want to do that. I want to have enough time to really let things sink in at what is actually happening to um, brothers and sisters, you know. So thank you for the conversation. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for, for being with us today. Katie? Yes, thank you. Um, I have really loved this conversation today. And as Joan said, seeing how much common ground there really is between us. And so, someone said to me pretty recently, um, I was talking to them about this and a couple other issues, and they're saying, you know, there's so many issues happening. How can you care still? I was like, oh, that's definitely a question. But not caring for me is a slippery slope into ignorance. And I think we have to care. We have to care about things like this. How things do get out of control is when we just ignore it or we try and act like it has nothing to do with us because we are becoming a one big global community. and going to have to figure out how to all work together. And I'm also learning new ways that, you know, I, I can be of help. You know, sitting at home watching documentaries, learning is awesome, but how am I going to put that into action? I'm still trying to figure that out. So I'm really glad to be here today. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Uh, Mary? I, you know, I take heart in how there is so much common ground here. You know, I, uh, I miss Ralph's voice on this because Ralph's perspective I always find is so unique uh, and different from my own, um, but uh, not saying I'm looking for 
a fight, a controversy. I am enjoying this kumbaya moment here. And, uh, you know, it's uh, for me, there's some self-awareness in topics like these tend to feel emotionally overwhelming. And there is a tendency to just say, okay, it's kind of not impacting my life on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. And sometimes there's a tendency to say, okay, it's just too painful to think about. And so I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go see how my zucchini is growing in the garden or whatever. But, you know, this is kind of, to me, a reminder that you know, there's something I can do. And, and it starts by having conversations. And as Joan was saying, more people having a conversation and the foundation getting broader and bigger. And, and then action comes from that. And for me, just, you know, personally, to challenge myself to not necessarily wait for some other person to take action or for a group to um, collectively take action, but, but just for me to do some things that I can do. Um, and I like Jacob's point also about just you know, not moving on to the next, the next news feed, but paying attention and doing something. I, I feel sad, overwhelmed, uh, but also inspired. Thanks, Mary. And uh, I think just to wrap up here, John, I was really intrigued by your idea of creating a safe space in Syria. I didn't know that that was ever even considered. I know we have a, such a non-intervention policy and have had for you know decades now. That, uh, that would be seen as an invading force rather than a peacekeeping force and a protection force uh, and ha- has its own political challenges. But man, wouldn't that have been a better solution? You know, so maybe we can store that one for next time. So uh, next step, you know, I have, I have looked for ways to help these refugees personally already, and I have I've not found them yet. So um, I think I'll continue that hunt uh, because I, I obviously feel very strongly about this because it, to me, impacts not just the, the Muslim refugees who are looking for safety, but it is also a sacred principle of this country that we should be a safe haven for them. And to me, the idea that terrorists could come in is such a minute possibility that I, it doesn't, I'm not afraid of that. It doesn't impact me or my decision at all. So I think I'll just re- declare that I'm renewing my efforts to see what I can do to help. And that concludes our living room conversation today. Thank you all for being here. So thanks everybody for uh, staying with us for the hour as we talk about Muslim refugees and national security. Uh, this has been Living Room Conversations with Mary, Debbie Lynn, Katie, John, Joan, and Jacob. I want to say Jingleheimer Schmidt after that for some reason. <laughs> Closing off. Uh, this living room conversation and I hope everybody has a great day. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This has been Living Room Conversations, courtesy of Coffee Party USA Radio. You can learn more at coffeepartyusa.com and make sure to click on that big red button that says become a member. Coffee Party USA is 100% volunteer and member supported. That's you. So thanks for listening. Make it a great day.